Hello, Redwood. It's great, great to see you. Hello to those of you tuning in online. Um, my name is Melissa. I am one of the pastors here. Uh, and along with Jay, who, if you don't know, actually happens to be my husband, uh, he and I would love to get to know you more. So if we haven't met you yet, feel free to email me too. Uh, we would love to connect and hear more about your story. Uh, a number of years ago, a major infrastructure project happened just east of here, the Nipigon Bridge. Yes. <laughs> those of you who lived here at that time know where I'm going, but just for those of you who might not know where I'm going with this, and those of you who might be tuning in online from somewhere other than Thunder Bay, let me tell the story about what happened. So this bridge was the first of its kind in Ontario, and it's a very important bridge. It is on the Trans-Canada Highway, which links all of Canada. The bridge connects the east with the west. Now, about three years after the bridge started being built, uh, the first half of the bridge was completed and it was open. Two lanes. Only two lanes connected eastern Canada and western Canada. But about 42 days after those two lanes were opened, a winter storm came, and due to bolts being improperly tightened, uh, the bridge deck lifted by about 60 centimeters. Uh, this was not good news. <laughs> this was bad, because this is the link. This is the bridge that unites our country. Uh, if you wanted to get, during the time that the bridge was closed for 17 hours, if you wanted to get from east to west or west to east, you'd have to travel down through the United States. And I did a little research, and it said in an article that I read that over $100 million worth of goods shipped by truck were delayed by the bridge closure. Bridges are important. Bridges connect things that are broken. They bridge divides. They connect things that otherwise wouldn't be connected. Without a bridge, we're disconnected. We're disjointed. And so today we're starting a new sermon series called Building Bridges, where we're going to explore this idea of bridge building, but not literal bridge building like the Nipigon Bridge, uh, relational bridge building. Bridge building is the coming together, like I said, of things that have been broken. And this is actually the central theme of the Bible. Bridge building describes the entire mission of God. When we read through the Bible through this lens of bridge building, what happened last week, Easter Sunday, the death and resurrection of Jesus makes more sense. In fact, the whole story of the Bible makes so much sense. And our identity, our purpose, our humanity makes so much sense. And our future makes so much sense. Bridge building is the essence of the good news. It's at the heart of Jesus' kingdom. And it is this message of hope that gives the answers to everything that is wrong in the world. So we're going to spend the next number of weeks unpacking this biblical message about bridge building. And the biblical word for this is actually reconciliation. Reconciliation means to join together things that were broken bring things back into right relationship with one another. Now, in order to do this well, we have to start at the very beginning. So today we're going to look at Genesis 1, 2, and 3, the first three chapters of the Bible. 
This provides the foundation for the entire bridge-building mission of God throughout the rest of human history and for what's coming. Uh, I'm going to just paraphrase uh, Genesis 1 and 2, and then we're going to read parts of Genesis 3. So in Genesis 1 and 2, we read that in the beginning, there was only God. God, the creator, who mysteriously exists as three persons in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In this way, we could say that God is a relationship. I've heard it said that at the center of the universe is a relationship. With nothing but spoken words, God created the heavens and the earth and everything in it, and after everything he created, he he declared, it is good. At the end of all this creating, God made man in his own image. And for the first time, God looked at what he was created, and when he saw that Adam was alone, for the very first time, he said, it is not good. It is not good that man is alone. After all, man is made in God's image, a relationship. So man needs somebody else. So Eve is created to be his partner, to be his spouse, to be his helpmate, and they live together. They live in a garden, a beautiful, abundant, rich garden full of plants and animals, and they're living in perfect harmony, and God gives them a job. God says, take care of this garden, tend it. And this garden will provide for you. It'll give you food. It'll give you shelter. It'll be your home. And then at the very end of the second chapter of Genesis, there's one sentence that has made kids giggle in Sunday school classes for hundreds of years. Adam and Eve were both naked. I'm going to start laughing. They were both naked and they felt no shame. So in those first two chapters of Genesis, we see four important relationships, four connections. And those four connections are this, these four connections that are key to human flourishing. The first one is a connection between humans and God. Adam and Eve live in relationship with their creator. God is present with them in the garden. There is no brokenness in their relationship with him. This is the first and most important relationship All the other relationships flow out of this one. The second crucial relationship is humans with the earth. Remember, in Genesis 1 and 2, the earth is abundant. It is flourishing. There's biodiversity. Adam and Eve are not only asked to care for the earth, but it is in the garden where they meet with God. That's why when we are out in God's creation, if we're walking through a forest or we see a beautiful sunset or we're sitting in a lake on a perfectly still day, it's this spiritual experience. We sense that there's something greater than ourselves. We feel more human. I think Thunder Bay people get this. We understand this intrinsically, even if we're not recognizing that it's because this is the way that God made us. We are made to be in right relationship with the earth. The next crucial relationship is between humans with each other. Adam and Eve are made for each other, literally. Remember, the only time God says it is not good is when Adam is alone. We are made to be in relationship with other people. And the last relationship that we see in the garden is between humans with themselves. Remember how Adam and Eve are naked and they feel no shame. Shame 
is the feeling of not being good enough, of not measuring up, of there's something wrong with me. The shame researcher Brené Brown calls shame the not-enoughness feeling. Adam and Eve not only don't feel shame, but they are naked. They're totally vulnerable with one another and before God, and they feel great. Their self-worth, their identity is solid because they are living the way that humans are designed to live in right relationship with God, in right relationship with the earth, in right relationship with one another, and in right relationship with themselves. This brings us to Genesis 3, where we see a turn in the story. As evil enters in, humanity exercises its free will, and those relationships break down. So we're going to read from Genesis 3, 1 to 10, and verses 21 to 23. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And you know what? I'm just one verse in, but I need to pause for a second, especially if you're not familiar with the Bible. Who is this serpent? Where This serpent is an important figure in this story. Now the serpent is thought of by biblical scholars as being evil, Satan. Satan was once an angel of light in God's heavenly throne room worshiping him, but Satan chose to rebel against God. It didn't work. So now Satan is bent on destroying God by destroying God's good creation, by turning God's beloved people against him. So pay attention how this evil being, this serpent, Satan, begins to break down those four crucial relationships. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And at this point in the story then, Adam and Eve come out from behind the bushes and they speak with God and God outlines for them the consequences of what they have done, what is gonna happen because of what they've done. And we pick up again in verse 21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, 
creator of everything, the earth and everything in it. Lord, you made us for perfect relationships. We see in the story how they were broken, and we look around the world and in our lives, and we also see broken relationship. And so, by the power of your spirit, would you open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to hear what it is you have for us today at your church, that we would understand this good news of reconciliation, and we would understand and know our role in it as well. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so today we're going to look at those four relationships, those four relationships that were created, broken, and bridged. The relationship between human with God, humans with the earth, humans with each other, and humans with themselves. And we're going to see that even though we live in a world right now where those relationships still feel broken, as followers of Jesus, we can experience flourishing in these areas now as we work to bridge the gaps, as Jesus has bridged the gap. But we also look forward to a future where these gaps will be bridged permanently and we will live as we were always intended to live. So let's start with that relationship between humans and God. This is the first and most important relationship. Everything flows from here. Uh, I've shared with you before that I'm allergic to eggs, but I haven't always been allergic to eggs. At least I didn't always know I was allergic to eggs. I figured this out about 10 years ago. Uh, Before that, I really enjoyed eating eggs. Even though they made me feel terrible, I didn't trace it back to the eggs that was causing all these weird reactions. But anyways, I loved eggs and I ate eggs a lot because I love breakfast. I love eating breakfast foods for breakfast and lunch and dinner. And some of my favorites were a poached egg on toast for breakfast and scrambled eggs with bacon for dinner. Uh, Really easy, really tasty. Uh, But when I found out that I had this egg allergy, I still had this love of breakfast foods. So I decided that I was gonna figure out some good substitutes. So instead of poached eggs on toast, I tried avocado and toast. Uh, Don't start making fun of me for being a millennial who loves avocados on toast and how expensive they are. I'm actually not a millennial, I'm just on the other side. Uh, Nevertheless, avocados on toast I tried. I also tried instead of scrambled eggs, tofu scramble. Uh, What I discovered in my experimentation is the thing that makes a good breakfast is eggs. (laughs) The substitutions just don't work. You take out the centerpiece and everything else just kind of falls apart. It doesn't taste as good. You might as well just eat a regular dinner. So in all of the four broken relationships at the beginning of creation, the starting point, the key, the centerpiece is our relationship with God. Can we have a relationship with the earth and with each other and with ourselves without God at the center? Sure, we can, but it's not quite the same. It's not quite as wonderful. It's like trying to have good breakfast for dinner without eggs at the center. In the story of the fall in Genesis 3, the first broken relationship is the relationship between people and God. Adam and Eve are told not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but they do. And as they do, this is symbolic of them turning away from God. God is the only one who is all-knowing and all-powerful, and by them taking this fruit from the tree, they're essentially saying, 
We want to be just like God. We want to know all things because we don't want to have to trust and depend on him anymore. We want to live independent from the one who created us. And then when God comes, when he shows up, he finds them and Adam says, we were afraid of you. We are afraid of you because we were naked and so we hid. All of a sudden, not only are they distant from God because they have done this thing, they are afraid of him. They are afraid of him. The reason why is because they have sinned. Now, this word for sin shows up all the way through the Bible. You can't really escape it, and many of us have baggage with this word sin. Uh, the, the best definition I've ever found for the word sin is broken relationships. To sin is to break relationship with God, to break relationship with the earth, to break relationship with each other, to break relationship with myself. So the first sin is a sin against God, doing something that breaks relationship with God. And because God is at the center of everything, all the other relationships fall apart. The second broken relationship is between humans with the earth. So I'm not totally sure why, but I have another sermon illustration for you, and it's about food again. I must have been hungry when I was writing the message. So not only am I allergic to eggs, but I don't really like tomatoes at least the ones that are sold in the grocery store. I like tomato sauce, and I like ketchup, uh, but not the tomatoes that you buy at the store. And I thought that I didn't like all tomatoes, but at about, uh, I don't know, my late 20s or so, Jay and I lived um, and were part of this organization called Arasha. Arasha is an organization committed to caring for God's creation, flowing out of this Genesis mandate that we are called to care for his creation, that we are called to be connected to the earth. And so as part of this organization, we lived right on the field study center that had a sustainable agriculture program, uh, monitored salmon streams, uh, restored habitats, did a lot of teaching. Jay and I were the people who connected with all of the visitors to our center. And we did a little bit of teaching. Uh, we did not do any of the farming. And we did not do any of the science, but we got to benefit from being at the center. So one of the things that I loved the most about living there was that every morning I would head out and our friend Paul, who was the farmer, uh, would be gardening and I'd say, Paul, what's in season today? What's perfectly ripe and perfectly good? And Paul would share it with me and I'd pick that thing and I'd eat it for lunch or for dinner. And one day I went out there and I asked Paul, Paul, what's in season today? And Paul got really excited, and he said, this year I'm having a bumper crop, come and see. And he led me to the tomato patch. And he was so excited, I didn't have the heart to tell him that I really don't like tomatoes. So he plucked a cherry tomato off a vine, he wrapped it in a leaf of basil, and he gave it to me, and I popped it in my mouth, waiting for the worst to happen, but guess what, the best thing happened. It was so good. It was delicious. I fell in love, not with Paul, but with tomatoes. I realized that I'd been eating these poor facsimiles to tomatoes my entire life. Uh, you could say that I had a broken relationship with tomatoes, and more specifically, a broken relationship with the earth as it relates to how our food is grown. You see, the tomatoes that I'd eaten all my life were grown in California. They were picked before they were ripe. Then they were shipped in a refrigerator truck for many, many days, hitting grocery stores across Canada, and by the time I was buying those tomatoes from the store, they were mushy, and they didn't taste very good. But when I tasted a tomato, 
ate it the way it's supposed to be eaten, magic, so good. In our Genesis 3 story, do you notice how the first sin against God is also the first act of environmental degradation? Adam and Eve pluck the fruit that they're not supposed to eat. And in doing so, they are using God's good creation in a way that he never intended it to be used. Instead of stewarding the earth, they're breaking it down. They are using it in ways that are not good. They are severing their relationship with the earth. And that relationship is further severed when they are expelled from the garden and they're told that from now on it's going to be really hard to work the earth. It's pretty easy to look around and see evidence of environmental degradation, isn't it? Uh, do we know where our food is grown? Can we name the species of trees and the birds and the mammals in our own backyard? Do we think about the consequences on the earth, the earth that God declares as good, when we make decisions about what we're going to buy or what we're going to do? I think the biggest evidence that we see that the relationship that humans have with the earth is broken is probably climate change, clearly demonstrating that humans have been living outside of the limitations of our good planet that God made. This leads us to the third broken relationship, humans with each other. Just like the relationship with the earth starts with God, the relationship with each other starts with God. Uh, people often ask us, what do you actually do? Like, what do pastors do? They don't know what we do beyond here on Sunday morning. Uh, and one of the things we say is we officiate weddings. But just like church on Sunday, we don't just show up for the wedding and sign contracts and say, you're now husband and wife. There's a bit of preparation that goes into weddings, including premarital counseling. Premarital counseling is one of the most important things that couples can do as they prepare to get married because through premarital counseling, we help couples have conversations about finances and kids and intimacy. And studies show that couples who engage in premarital counseling have a much higher success rate because they're having the conversations before they actually get married and maybe realize it's too late. One of the most important conversations we have is around faith. Are you both tracking towards God? And when we do this, we often use an illustration of a triangle with God at the top and then the engaged couple at the other two bottom corners of the triangle. And we talk about how the most important thing you can do in your relationship is actually to pour into your relationship with God, to grow closer to him. And as the two people in the couple move closer to God, notice that they're moving closer to each other. It's inevitable. As we move closer to God, we will grow in relationship with one another. This is the way marriage is supposed to work. This is the way friendships are supposed to work. These are, this is the way our families are supposed to work. And this is the way our church is supposed to work. When we move closer to God, we can't help it. We move closer to one another. Now, we don't have to look too far to see evidence of this broken relationship in our world. Whether it's a big macro level and we're looking at it globally and we see wars and we see oppression, we see injustice, we see murder, all of these things are a result of this broken relationship that we have with one another. But we see it close to home too, don't we? 
in our families and with our friends, in our school, in our workplaces, even in our church. And then all of these three broken relationships come together and culminate in the fourth broken relationship, humans with themselves. Remember how Adam and Eve are in the garden and they're naked and they feel no shame. They're living totally free from self-consciousness and self-hatred and self-doubt. Doesn't this sound like a nice way to live? Wouldn't it be nice to never worry about how you stand with someone else? What would it be like to be so secure in who I am and my identity, knowing that I'm fully loved by the Creator and it doesn't matter what other people think of me? Wouldn't it be great to be so secure in our body image that we love our bodies because they're a wonderful gift from God and knowing that our bodies are beautiful because we are made in the image of our Creator? Wouldn't it be great to live without anxiety and stress and depression or other mental health issues because we know our purpose and our identity and we know that we are loved? And knowing that we are made in the image of God, created, designed for a purpose, makes so much sense. This is the way it's supposed to be. This is what it looks like to live in a right relationship with God and therefore a right relationship with myself. When I know that I am loved by God, all of me, the good, the bad, and the ugly, something starts to happen. I grow in my relationship with him, and I begin to love myself. In the Genesis story with Adam and Eve, notice that as soon as their eyes are open, and they see that they are naked, they cover themselves up from one another, and they hide away from God. This is a picture of shame. Shame enters the picture. That feeling of not being enough. Anytime we start hiding away parts of ourselves because we feel like it's not worthy, because we feel like it's unpalatable, because we are embarrassed by it and we hide ourselves away, this is shame at work. This is our human origin story. We see the way that it's supposed to be when we are living perfectly in relationship with God and with the earth and with each other and with ourselves. And we also see how these relationships are broken as we walk away from God. Now, I want you to think for a second about an area of brokenness in the world. You could be thinking maybe about a big area of brokenness or think about an issue close to home. Now, can you trace that brokenness to one of those four relationships being broken? Thankfully, in Genesis 3, we see the beginning of God's plan to bridge the gap, to reconcile all things. In verse 21, it says, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. This is the first death in the Bible. And God did it. God sacrificed an animal to clothe Adam and Eve because he saw that they could not cover themselves. Their flimsy fig leaf coverings were not going to work. He sacrifices an animal to cover their shame so that they can live rightly with God and with one another and they could step into their purpose as earth keepers. 
This points to another sacrifice that would come. Except this sacrifice would be made by God himself. God would not kill an animal to cover humanity. God himself, as Jesus, stepped into humanity and he became the sacrifice, dying on the cross, raising again on the third day, which is what we celebrated last week at Easter. And he does this so that we may be forgiven. But the purpose of forgiveness is not just so that we stand as forgiven people, it's so that we are brought back into right relationship with God. And all of those other broken relationships fall into place. But we all know that we live in this time where even though Jesus came, and even though he died, and even though he was risen from the grave, we see these broken relationships everywhere. But it's not going to be like this forever. Jesus started the reconciliation on the cross, and it's going to continue. The first two chapters of the Bible, Genesis, we see those four perfect relationships. And the last two chapters of the Bible, Revelation 21 and 22, we see those four relationships reconciled again. Perfect. We see this new heaven and this new earth where creation has been restored and renewed. We see the reconciliation of every single tribe, every single nation, every language, every single ethnic group reconciled together, worshiping God, reconciled with God. It is the way things are supposed to be. And this happens as we are reconciled to God through Jesus. Reconciliation only happens through him. So if you have put your faith in Jesus, in this period of time, after his cross and before he comes again, we've been given a special job. In 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 to 19, we read this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, a new creation has come. If you are in Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are a new creation. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are a bridge builder. In the image of God, the ultimate bridge builder. Now, as Canadians, when we hear the word reconciliation, we often think of indigenous reconciliation. And as followers of Jesus, when we think about indigenous reconciliation and the, cons- the big biblical concept of reconciliation, all of a sudden, we can see where things went wrong. And we can see a pathway towards a better future. Traditionally, in indigenous culture, including my own Namgis culture from Vancouver Island, indigenous people inherently understand that to be in right relationship with creator means that I am in right relationship with the earth and with each other, and with myself. This is the way it's supposed to be, and these relationships are intertwined. You cannot tear them apart. However, the first settlers, the people who were making policies, did not understand this full biblical picture of reconciliation, including the church. Because if the church understood this gospel message of reconciliation and was living into its calling, we never would have seen 
what happened. Instead of the church being agents of reconciliation, the church was the exact opposite, breaking down all four of these relationships that God originally declared good. Think about the relationship between humans and God. Colonizers never acknowledged that God was already here, that God was preparing the way for people to receive this message about creator, come incarnate in the flesh, come to reconcile all things to himself and all four of those relationships become alive when we know Jesus. But instead, the relationship that people had to God was broken down. The gap was created and the church did it. Then there's the relationship between humans with the earth. Through the creation of reserves, people were removed from their traditional territories, their traditional ways of living, and also the ways of connecting with God. And then as children were removed and sent to residential schools, they were severed from their home territory, their connection to the land. And then there's the relationship between humans with each other. As children were sent to residential schools, their relationships with their home community were cut off, their relationships with their families were cut off, and even relationships with siblings were cut off as they were separated when they got there. And then the relationship between humans with themselves was broken down as well. The main aim of the residential schools was to quote-unquote kill the Indian in the child. This caused shame. I recently talked to a First Nations man who talked about how, as a child, the church taught him to hate himself. The church was not living into its divine calling to participate in God's mission to reconcile all things to itself. It was actively working against reconciliation and therefore actively working against God. But here's the hope. As our eyes are opened and we realize where we went wrong, and we see the full, beautiful picture of reconciliation, the reconciliation of all things. And as we claim our identity as bridge builders, and as we look towards a future where all who put their faith in Jesus will be fully reconciled, fully restored, we have a message for the world that is really good news. It is good news for my First Nations brothers and sisters. It is good news for the next generation that really cares about climate change. It is good news for the poor. It is good news for the rich. It is good news for the refugee and the immigrant. It is good news for the student and the artist and the logger and the pulp mill worker and the teacher and the scientist. It is good news for the sinner and the saint and the skeptic. It is good news for the mother and the father and the child and the grandparent. This is good news for all. In the book, Good News and Good Works, Ronald J. Sider writes this. He says, I am absolutely convinced that this full biblical gospel is what our broken world needs. It certainly needs the fantastic news of forgiveness, but it also longs to hear and see the amazing truth that right now there is a reconciled and reconciling community that broken people can enter and be loved and nurtured towards wholeness. If even a quarter of the world's Christian would both preach and live Jesus' full gospel of the kingdom, we would see revival 
and church growth on a scale never before seen. In addition, the world would become a better place. This full gospel of reconciliation is my life calling. I believe it's Redwood's calling too. In fact, I believe that this is the calling of the entire worldwide global church. And this is why over the coming weeks, we're going to unpack all of those four relationships more. We're going to see further how it's been broken. We're going to see more about the biblical story and how God puts it all back together. And we will see how we, as followers of Jesus, are called to join God in his mission to reconcile all things back together again. I'd love for you to join me. Let's close in prayer. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, again we declare, you made the earth and everything in it, and you declared it good. You made us to live in right relationship with you and with your earth and with each other and with ourselves. Our hearts break for the brokenness we see in the world and the brokenness we see in ourselves. Jesus, we thank you that you came to reconcile all things to yourself. And you also call us to participate in this ongoing ministry of reconciliation. And so today, and even over the coming month, Lord, would you show us specifically what our Redwood role is in this? What do you have for us? Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.